first thing in the morning, as soon as you wake up, the to-do list starts. Does the car need gas? Hopefully those leftovers are still good. Why did I get CC'd on the <laughs> No. You can't escape the to-do list, but you can make the most of your me time with a relaxing shower using Method Hair Care products. Try Pure Peace Volumizing, Simply Nourish Moisturizing, or Daily Zen Shampoo and Conditioner for daily use. All formulated with long-lasting fragrances and are safe for color-treated hair. Reconnect with the best version of yourself. Visit methodproducts.com to unleash your inner shower. He's already been dead and it's messed with his head. It's John's post-life crisis. Welcome to John's post-life crisis. We're going to just start into this. Today we're talking to Adam Riley, Associate Principal, High School Activities Director, and Temporary Head Baseball Coach from Decorah, Iowa. That sounds like a lot of different hats you wear. I got worn out just saying it. Uh, how are things in Decorah? Things are great. It's a glorious Friday here and uh, sun shining and um, we could probably use a little rain like everybody else, uh, but uh, it's, it's, it's all pretty good for an August day. So uh, we're going to talk about what you guys are doing to prepare for, well, high school mostly, I mean, all around. Uh, whether it's students or it's uh, sports. And obviously, since we're a sports site, uh, we probably want to focus more on that. But activities director versus athletic director, I mean, I guess when I was young, and I'm really old, <laughs> we didn't have an athletic director. I was a really tiny high school, but uh, I get the athletic director part. How many sports do you guys have? Let's say uh, we Yep, we offer 25 sports. We're a building of 600 students uh, on that end of things. We've got, give or take, depending on any given year, about 16 different activities in addition to those 25 sports. And our, our goal is to still say that, you know, we don't want kids to be on a single track. We want them to be able to participate in as many things as they can or they feel willing to um, so they can kind of walk out the door with a, as well-rounded of an experience as they can. That's, that's our goal here. So name like three or four activities that are not sports. Um, things that would include obviously our fine arts with our band, vocal orchestra, um, any of the stuff that occurs outside of the school day and the scheduling and, and management of that stuff. I, I, I work uh, pretty extensively with that. We've got a speech and drama department where our participation rate is really high um, uh, within, within the district robotics. Uh, that's really grown here the last couple of years, a nice little avenue and niche for a certain segment of our kids. FFA, physics olympics uh just a, a large variety of things that we try to, to try to have, have a niche for everybody to be able to feel like they can be involved so how important is our sports to your community um i, I would say that they're important um, you know, there's some unique things through the years. If you look at uh, Decorah as a community and the success in a number of different sports that it's, uh, it's had, as well as the participation rates in a number of our sports, um, I would say it's a priority. We've got a small liberal arts college. Luther College is here in town um, as well. So there's some things that, uh, that value within the community that piggyback off that. Um, and we've got some programs through the years that have had a, a tremendous amount of success uh, when, you, when you really look at it. So um, I, I think people value it. I still feel good about this community as, as a, at a core value. Uh, winning is not placed uh, any higher than making sure we give kids quality experiences. That's kind of uh, a major goal. And then the, the competition takes care of itself. So what worries you most about actually having sports this fall? 
Because <sighs> I- Iowa is a state where football hasn't moved to spring. We'll talk about that again in a little bit. Yep. Uh, I mean, what worries you the most? Um, lots. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's like sometimes anything else, you know, you know, I guess to take a step back from a management standpoint, I, we, we, we coined the phrase and it's been used by several of my colleagues and some other stuff. We're kind of building the plane as we fly it, um, which is uh, a challenging thing, but also uh, challenging from a safety standpoint, as well as just a general logistics standpoint. So, um, you know, baseball and softball, we were able to have baseball and softball this summer was, was very successful uh, by and large for us because um, outdoor sport, we know that the data that we have from a statewide standpoint means we didn't have any uh, COVID um, a, a infection that occurred within teams and or from team to team. We know all the infections that shut down teams were exposures that occurred outside of the baseball softball setting um, based off of the, the data that's been able to be collected. Um, so we know for our outdoor stuff, we feel pretty comfortable and safe. Um, I will say making the transition with high school students back into indoor settings and needing to use locker rooms, um, I, that, that's probably the area that, that worries me the most. And then when we do have an exposure going back and doing contact tracing so we know who do we have to pull for, for quarantine and who do we not have to pull, um, and then what impact does that have on the flow of the season, uh, which, which is, is, is pretty tricky, pretty challenging. This, this sounds, I mean, I've read off your, your titles, your job responsibilities, they sound amazing as they are. Uh, does it's contract tracing all this stuff? This sounds like it, it adds a massive burden or a massive overhead on top of what you're already doing. Um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't lie. Um, that's very true. Uh, I think that's a, a, a very fair and true statement. You know, um, obviously the COVID stuff has really turned into a political issue and in different states and different things with guidance, I think it's uh, how it's managed um, is, is, is impacted by that. We get a lot of guidance from Iowa Department of Public Health and then we work with our local county public health administrators for these contact tracing and how we try to implement and uh, um, our, our political leaders within our state have very much wanted to narrow it down so there's some local control, um, which I think there's merits in that in some instances and in other instances, maybe not as much because then it puts a lot of pressure um, on the local administrator to start making a certain amount of decisions that aren't set in policy and trying to go down that road to set policy um, that doesn't tie hands while also allows uh, logic knowing each case and situation can be, be different is, is definitely a, a tricky art form um, of our work. So right now you're moving ahead with sports and activities and all these things in the fall. Yep. As yep. normal schedule. Yep. And all of our surrounding schools are, I wouldn't say that it's normal. Um, the, when it comes to football, typically in the state of Iowa, we have a nine game schedule. Um, and the decision was made a couple weeks ago, uh, just through some different options that were down to a seven game schedule. Um, with that and the adjustment to the seventh game schedule was uh, to put things in place. Um, there's only 16 qualifiers allowed in our playoff system or that qualify. Um, but by narrowing it down to seven, um, it would allow everybody to go ahead and qualify. Um, with that concern of what happens with our playoff qualification system if we're mid-season and a team gets shut down for a week or 14 days, like our policy currently says, what risk does that put um, 
on some of the decision making for administrators as well as everything else. Now, if you all of a sudden had your team uh, get shut down or significant quarantines at the wrong time, as far as the end of the year, we face that locally on our baseball side of things. It can it it, it can make things interesting um, in the end. So. So you, 25 sports and all these activities, do you have separate plans for each of them? I mean, like if you have football, it's certainly a different sport than soccer, volleyball, you know, whatever else you might have in the fall. Yeah. You know, there's, it's kind of like an onion. There's different layers to it. Um, and to say that everything in each sport encompasses itself in terms of is two of the same. Um, definitely that's the new challenge that we're working in with the fall baseball, softball, two very different, two very similar things. Uh, so procedurally we're able to put a lot of the same things in place, but uh, you know, the needs of a volleyball program versus a cross country program, one being probably all entirely indoors and one being entirely outdoors um, are, are two different elements um, with that. So, you know, you have that first layer of the actual team management and what you're trying to do for mitigation within those different teams. And then we, we've got some things started and we feel like we're in a pretty good place with that. Then there's the competition side as far as how do we manage contests and what sort of strategies and mitigation do we need to put in from there? Just everything from transportation um, to um, exposure of the actual kids to each other, the wearing of masks, sanitization, all the other stuff. And then when you do have the competitions, that third layer is adding what and how do we deal with um, spectators. And, and that's, that's gonna be a really tricky area for us as well. And if I go back to the competition, we, we've got officials that we've got to take care of as well. So um, it's a, we're in the process of continuing to develop. There's a lot of time put into it, trying to work with our conference, trying to work with statewide to see what we can do to get on the same page. It becomes even more complex when uh, maybe within different schools within our league have some different expectations. Um, even as they return to their plans for the learning and then everything else that comes with that. So um, it's a, it's, it's tricky to say the least. There's a lot of sleepless nights trying to scratch your head to say, uh, how can we figure this out um, to be able to get some people on the same page, respect everybody's wants and needs and, and, and give most importantly, give the kids an opportunity to do something. You know, they want to compete. They want to be able to participate and play. It might look differently, but at least they're getting an opportunity to do that. Well, you, you obviously talk to kids. I mean, what do they think about all of this? Um, I know, imagine that it, it varies widely, but you know, you probably get a general feel of your population that you're dealing with. Yeah. You know, our kids, we've got great kids and by and large, they want to be respectful of whatever the adults ask them to do. Um, but a lot of it, what I run into is, you know, 16 year old kids, pay closer to attention what their other 16 year old peers are doing um, in their decision-making processes sometimes more so than what they're paying attention to in the news uh, or whatever their social media feeds are or whatever sometimes the adults are asking them to do. So there's all these influences and they're trying to figure out who they are. Um, and I think that's probably impacted that a little bit. It's, it's like anything else with a, with a young adult. It gets real when it starts to affect them. And I would say from the summer months when it started to affect, you know, individual teams where there's an exposure where somebody, a teammate goes into quarantine and then there's that fear like, oh my gosh, was I exposed or was I not exposed? That's when they start taking things probably a little bit more seriously. Um, otherwise, it's probably that usual thing in an educational setting where we're trying to motivate kids to do what the adults are asking them to do um, and really cooperate with that. Everything from hand, you know, just a general sanitization, you know, it's hard to compete and say, hey, we're going to be perfect 
perfect with physical distancing and say, hey, somebody just made a great play. I'm, I'm going to give you a high five. I can't. Well, naturally, at times, it's going to happen um, uh, on that end of things. But then making sure that we're still sanitizing and doing some things with that. So. You okay, you know, the, you know the, that kid you got that you always look at and you go, you know, if that kid ever grows up and matures, he's loud, he's not obnoxious, he won't follow the rules, he constantly crosses the line. He's a horrible kid right now, but someday maybe he'll straighten out and get going. Uh, that was me. Yeah, well, okay? I define those people as they're great people, great, great students. There's parts on order there. We just got to help them get to the right spot where they're willing to let us help install the parts. So. Well, my wife would say, I don't know if I've ever figured it out yet, but I can tell you without hesitation that if I didn't have football to play in the fall when I grew up, I probably would have been committing crimes. I mean, not horrible. I wouldn't have murdered anybody, right. but I definitely would have been involved in uh, probably underage drinking. Uh, I probably shouldn't go into the rest of these. <laughs> But you know what I mean? Yeah. If we don't, if we, the kids, if kids don't have sports, I mean, they're going to get involved in other things that are probably not as, let's say, healthy. Yep. You know, it, it's that balancing act of, um, you know, we work really hard to make sure that our, our we, we try to sell the message both directly and probably more even more indirectly as if all you do is define yourself by the sport that you participate in or those things that you invest your time, then we've probably failed you. Um, so we don't, we want them to be well-rounded and well-balanced in terms of knowing that they're, they're more than just a football player and, and help them through that process. That's a guiding mission. But with that said, you know, from the adult standpoint, we don't get into this business to be able to meet with kids on Zoom and talk about football. We get into this business to be able to actually work with them, help them guide them along, help them figure out who they are over a period of time um, and, and everything else with that. And, and part of that helping is, is we know, I mean, we all have, go back to our experiences when we were younger um, and, and try to pick out those kids that are the ones that it's like, yeah, we, we, we find a way to connect with them and, and see what we can do. And um, I will say the months, you know, when we were shut down in a lot of different ways with late March and into April um, and May, you know, I talk with fellow parents and I talk with our, our students, you know, and, and they're crawling up the walls. They want to be able to do something. So I think in getting back to baseball, softball, when that came, when that happened and occurred, we had some kids that were totally in a, a, a total different stage of humility in terms of appreciating their opportunities. Now that waned and wavered at the end, but I, I do think we still have to sell that over a period of time to kids. And this is a real opportunity that you have and you don't know when it's going to get taken away. Um, so hopefully there's some gratitude on their part um, and, and everything else. And, and uh, um, it, it, it does, it makes a difference to be able to work. We're trying to make a difference for those kids and, and they may not realize it now, but everybody does know over a period of time we can do that. And if we have something going on, albeit not the same, we, we, can, we can hopefully make a difference. Well, I think the other thing about high school is that, you know, you don't get to do your junior year over, really. Nope. You know, this isn't college where they can kind of go, well, you can have an extra year of eligibility. Yep. You're really, your life is kind of moving on at the pace of, of, on a yearly pace, whether you want it to or not. So yep. it's is a, there a lot of that taken into account? Yeah, um, it is. Uh, on that and things they're not like I said they're 16 years old and they're thinking about how the world revolves a little bit more around them as opposed to be more outward in their thinking um, on that and things but there's certainly a level of appreciation you know our seniors last year and you even look at the college level I have a nephew who's a, a division three track athlete you know he's at the national indoor meet uh, doing their workout the day before the national indoor meet and then all of a sudden the meet's canceled 
Um, absolutely devastating for him. He was fearful that that was the last time that he was ever going to run again. And they were given a second chance. But in the high school setting, that's not going to happen uh, on that end of things. So I really feel for a number of those kids, but it still comes back to if, if we've done good work with, um, with our students and our student athletes, they, they realize that they're far more than just an athlete. Uh, and, and there's other things that they're going to have to be prepared to be able to offer in the world um, uh, over a period of time. And hopefully that athletic experience will enhance what they can go on to be able to do in future settings. So, so parents, what is the, I mean, you obviously have to deal with parents yep. and I, I, my real life, I'm an IT consultant and I have worked with K through 12 schools all over the nation of varying sizes. Yep. Uh, parents can be the most wonderful people in the world. And then what do the parents think about all this? And, and I hate to be unfair to you, but I mean, how do you handle the ones that are, I have relatives of mine that are completely freaking out about this. And yep. then I have other relatives that are like, eh, it's a hoax. You know what I mean? All this stuff. How do you manage that wide disparity between attitudes toward this? Yeah. Um, it still comes back to that. I guess the grounding piece for everything to be centrally element of people where we can be on the same page and agree is our kids get an opportunity to do something. There are certain things we can control. There's certain things that we're not going to be able to control. So let's find a way uh, to, to be able to focus on those things that we can control um, and be willing to keep everybody safe um, and healthy, knowing that not everybody's going to have the same view um, on a number of different things. You know, we, I, I still try to come back to scientific facts and some other stuff based off of what I know, but then I also try, there's a, there's a psychological and a social component to all this that it's like, how, how can we work? And I would say by and large, and the parents that we've worked with and, and I've been able to work with as it relates to COVID, they're extremely excited and happy that their kids have an opportunity um, to be able to participate. You know, our, uh, our physical distancing, social distancing guidelines when it comes to um, events for the summer, um, we didn't have to micromanage a lot of people. There was a lot of people at our events because they wanted to get out of the house and see and do something like real um, uh, on that end of things, which is awesome to be able to see. Um, so as a result, yeah, where everybody's chairs six feet apart from each other when our baseball and softball games are uh, being played, absolutely not. Um, but were people respectful of each other's space and, and, and trying to be able to do it and knowing and understanding they were at these events to support the kids. Um, that was actually far better because we didn't have a lot of sportsmanship issues and at least for our district uh, when it comes to that because I think people were just happy to get out of the house and go see the kids do something. Um, you know, the parents who are really invested um, and have put a lot of time, whether it be the club scene or whatever for their kids, um, you know, it's a different thing, but obviously those, those parents were very much on fear of not being able to have a season. So I know, I think they see what happens in some of the other States and they're like, well, at least we're doing something. So we need to be respectful of that as we're going along, knowing it might not be as ideal as what we, we think it should be. So. I mean, have you talked to any of your counterparts in other States where they have canceled fall sports and. Um, a little bit. So we work, we're, we're close to Minnesota and Wisconsin borders. Right. Uh, so in the fall here, we've had a few different changes. Obviously, Minnesota decided with no volleyball um, or football. Wisconsin actually delayed the start of their season. So we actually have some contests with those schools. So, you know, all this is kind of happening pretty fast. So we've done the initial logistics, but we haven't talked about the specifics um, um, with them. I have, um, I have a nephew uh, who lives in Illinois uh, and knows that his football season isn't going to happen. And, and that's, he's still young, so it's still okay, but there's just a little bit of disappointment um, when it comes to some of that. Um, 
you know, so to talk to the colleagues specifically, it's, it's all happening so fast. We haven't necessarily done that as much, but I'm sure there will be plenty of time to debrief here in time. It's, under, it's my understanding that since Iowa hasn't moved their football season, that there are high-profile athletes from other states that are moving to Iowa so they can play fall football. I mean, can you comment on that? <laughs> Have you guys seen any of that? Any inquiries, anything? No, when you're up in the corner and you're not quite as, as high profile as maybe what the Des Moines Metro, some of the Des Moines Metro area schools are, uh, you don't see that. Or, you know, some of the larger metro areas that are, that are closer to the borders. We haven't seen as much, honestly, we haven't seen any um, in our area, but I know it's, it's, it's uh, for lack of a better way to put it, um, some fears of the wild, wild west in some of our larger metro schools and in, in this, this vacuum that's occurring with people contacting them. And I... You know, I'm all for kids, but I also know that I, I serve the, the kids of the district that I work for. Um, and I, I guess that's, it's, a, it's a tough, tough deal um, when it comes to it, because I think sometimes people forget all of a sudden there's the excitement on the front side of that, that kid's moving in. But there's also a kid in that district who potentially could lose the playing time um, and that they've really invested nothing but trying to be able to be supportive of a team side of things. So there's lots of messages that kind of get uh, get wild and crazy when it comes to that, that it's like, yeah, you know, it, it it's just a tough, tough situation <laughs> when it comes to that. Okay. We covered kids. We covered parents, teachers and coaches. How are they doing? Uh, you know, they're doing pretty well, kind of similar to what you would see um, <laughs> in, in, in the, the spectrum of the parents. We do have opposite ends of the spectrums as far as where some of the views are. Um, and, you know, being the, the, the leader when it comes time to say, well, where is our middle ground in developing some of that? We're in the process of working through that to try to be able to be uh, reasonable and, um, and safe at the same time. Uh, we do have some teachers that are extremely nervous about coming back to school. Um, we, we have, um, I, I know we have one coach who um, is not going to coach football this fall because he's got a, a, a young daughter who's a very high risk. Um, so it has to make that decision, albeit a very difficult one uh, in the best interest. So, you know, similar to what you might see at the professional level, we see a few of those different things um, and, and you hopefully have supportive conversations um, um, with that. You know, we've got some that think there's no way we should be back in school and we have some that think that we should, there's no reason why we shouldn't have all of our kids in the building and everything should be just like normal. So um, how do we find a, a nice balance to still at the end of the day, do what our mission is to, to work with kids and try to do the best we can in person and, and, and help them grow and, and learn some things along the way. So when you, when you look at the, the media and a lot of the coverage has been around sports and you deal with activities that are not sports. It's almost like everybody is worried about, I, you know, in my other podcasts, I have brought up the fact that everybody's like, oh, my God, we can't have a college football season. The college football players will be at risk. Nobody ever talks about the English majors. Nope. Nobody gives a damn about the English majors. Nope. <laughs> you know, and in your case, you have kids that are in drama. I, I wish I would have done that in high school, but I didn't have any guts. Uh, <laughs> I've taken drama out for the rest of my life. You know, I'm dramatic all the time now. But, or, or singing, you know, chorus or band or those things. I, I guess there's kind of a question here. Does it bother you that the focus is, oh, my God, we can't have sports, but at the same time, nobody cares about the English majors? You know, you get, you get used to it. Media is a market, and 
sometimes people tend to forget that and they've got to go with where, where, where things sell and, and, and where they can get their advertising. And we respect that from a business standpoint, you know, it, unique for me thing for me, I was, a, I was a vocalist in college. I, I sang uh, when I was in college, uh, I did plenty of athletic experiences and all the other stuff and did coaching while I was in college and other stuff. So, you know, you hope the student level, they feel like, what, what can I get out of it? Um, and, yeah, there's there's that other piece that's not covered by the media where there's all kinds of guidance for our music association um, and, and National Federation of High Schools that comes out with what are we going to do with marching band? What are, What's the guidance? And as they do studies as relates to how do we sing without being able to spread because obviously the air movement that's going to happen and occur. So there's all of that layer that's going on at the same time. And I mean, I appreciate you bringing that up because that's 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 one major part of what we're trying to do because we're still serving the same kids when it comes time to be able to be prepared to help them safely do what what they want to be able to do and um, we're, we're trying to do this all at the same time you know from from that standpoint too I, I you know I was in an advisory meeting a couple of weeks ago um, at the state level and I one point that I kind of got lost that I wanted to make sure that I made made clear is you know, for some of the mitigation strategies of practicing in smaller groups or having pods and some other stuff, well, we've got coaches who end up having to do that. But in addition to that, our coaches are having to, they're also teachers. That's their main job. And they're having to prepare. In our case, we're going to start the year in a hybrid model where we've got partial kids, about 50% of our kids in the building um, each day. And then they, they rotate uh, in terms of what we call red and blue days uh, based off our school colors. But they're having to teach in a completely different way than they've ever taught before. So it's like, it's like they're going back to their first year of teaching. So they're doing that while also trying to manage these activities programs. And then at the same token, they're splitting and doing two and three practices at the same time. The amount of stress that it puts on them, that's, that's a part that really concerns me as we go through because in the parents' eyes, because we compete and participate, once the season gets going and we have no cases and our mitigation strategies are working, they just think it should be just like normal. Um, and sometimes in their eyes, more is, is just that. More will lead to more success where sometimes it's about efficiency and less being more um, in relation to how much we do and how we try to um, manage different programs. And the, the teaching has to be the priority. You know, and at college athletics, the way it's grown, it's awesome. But I it always comes back, it's a discussion my wife and I have in our household is in um, people tend to forget that these, these these they get the recognition and the notoriety of professional athletes but they're still student athletes and that can't be lost in this whole mission when it comes time to be able to do some things so uh, th th that part that's a tricky part of our world and as we get into that op these opportunities to be able to compete the educational component is the most important part of the day but the most talked about at times is the sports side of things and and how do we get people back to realize that the, these, these kids are students and these, these, these coaches, most of them are teaching at the same time. Well, I, I think so, there are Nebraska fans who are shocked to find out that there's an actual university attached to the football team. And then they go, <laughs> yeah. well, what the hell is that all about? <laughs> I thought that was, that was where the N stands for knowledge on the helmet. Oh, wow. Get those shots in. No, our, my boss is a diehard Nebraska fan. It's great. I, we, we get along really well. Total respect for him. Okay, the structure of decision-making, we're going to talk about decision-making, and this is part, uh, you know, I'm just surprising you with this. Okay. Uh, who, who ultimately makes the decisions of whether or not a football game will continue or a sport will continue? Is it at your high school level, your conference level, the state level? Is it all of them together in unison? Yeah, um, 
as of right now, the way it lays out, and it's pretty similar to what we did for baseball, softball, it's going to be at the district level and the administration of the district, uh, which is kind of me assigned on that end of things and working with our superintendent uh, to keep him informed and, and obviously our principal to um, work with public health, our local public health administrators and say, what's the scenario? What's happening and occurring? There's a matrix that we're kind of supposed to follow. Um, and they've, they've made some adjustments to that matrix to be able to lead to the decision-making. So, you know, let's say we have in the summer, it was set where if we had one positive case on our team, uh, on that end of things, the whole team would be shut down for 14 days. Um, that led to some challenges in terms of consistencies within the state as far as what's defined as the whole team. Is the whole team like the whole, in our case, eight through 12 for baseball and softball? Or is it just the varsity group? Because they through eighth, eighth and ninth graders are off practicing on their own. There's no similar exposure to them as far as what happens and occurs. So they're making some adjustments. We haven't seen that yet to hopefully kind of clean some of that up. And meanwhile, when that happens, let's say you have a test out, you've put a kid in the quarantine because they're directly exposed and they have a test. Well, it's still going to take 48 to 72 and sometimes even longer to get those tests back, depending on how wide or how bogged down the statewide system is. So you've kind of had, got to hang in the balance. If it's just one case and one exposure and there hasn't been very much around um, those kids, we, I work with the public health administrator to make some determinations of, okay, who do we quarantine and who do we not while we still continue to practice and compete? Um, so, so that's part of it. And then depending on how many potential direct exposures you have will lead to saying, all right, we're not going to go compete against this team at this point in time, or yet we're perfectly safe. We're in okay shape. We can still go compete because our exposure is minimal. Um, we don't have anybody, any symptoms, everything else that comes with that. So it's a, it's a matrix that's followed. It's not necessarily a strict black and white um, element to be able to have those conversations. Um, and it's, I like to be extremely transparent with, with parents and, 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 and kids, and it doesn't always allow you to be as transparent as you, you like um, when it comes to that, because you have some of the parents like, you know, I, if I walk down or, you know, even people in the community, if I, I, well, I just saw this person yesterday and I heard that they were, they just tested positive. Do I need to get tested for COVID? And it's like, well, there's exposure <laughs> rates of what the CDC says and, and, and how do you kind of mitigate in those conversations? You can't run from them because you got to help people as far as how your decision-making issues. I guess the, the sounding thing that I've always come back to with parents and, and kids is I would never ask you to do something that I wouldn't feel safe doing myself. Um, and if we as coaches and other people operate under that, um, hopefully we'll be in a, in a, in a good place uh, in the long run to keep people safe. Okay, we're going to stick with the decision-making concept. Okay. concept. Okay. You are a decision-maker. Sure. Okay. okay. I, you know, I, I was taking my son to work earlier. He's a, an applied math major at the University of Minnesota because he's a rotten son and didn't pick Nebraska. <laughs> what my, That's good. That's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he has fun whenever the Gophers beat us in any athletic competition. Sure, okay. sure. It, it occurs to me that right now, if you go out on social media, if you have conversations with your neighbors, your relatives, or anybody, we're beating our decision makers to death. I mean, the, the fact is, the vast majority of us as humans are not decision makers, but yet we're hindsighting all of this to, to death yep. as if there's a right way or a wrong way to do all of this stuff. And there's always a right way to do it after you, you know, after it's passed by. Yep. I mean, 
I guess I look at this, you know, and I look at my own kids. I have three kids. They're all adults. And uh, I look at them and go, if we're going to beat our decision makers this badly, why would anybody ever want to be in that position ever? I, we, we have those moments. Um, there's, there's no doubt about it. You know, with, with leadership, probably the biggest thing is being ready and willing. If you're going to get in a leadership position, you better be willing to, to accept some of the responsibility. Um, find ways to take input, hear the noise uh, on the outside, and take that information and say, yep, uh, and everything else. And you don't ever get to take a victory lap when you're right uh, on that end of things. It, it just doesn't work that way. Um, but you do have to look somebody in the eye and say, yep, these are the, these are the decision points that I or these data points or whatever it made to make this decision. Um, and I, I didn't have this piece of information or not. You don't want to make excuses or you just flat out said I was wrong. Uh, and if I had it to do over again, these are the kind of things that we'd be able to decipher and, and, and do different and, and be transparent as you possibly can in the decision-making process um, with that. You know, myself, sometimes I'm, I'm maybe a little bit more of a highway gambler. Um, I don't want to put everything in a bubble when it comes to that, but I also want people to be safe. And, and as a result, you just, you try to gather the right amount of information and, and get other people on board with getting their information from it. So you can make something that's sound and everybody can support. Um, at the same time, sometimes you just got to flat out make a decision knowing that people, um, they're, they're not going to like it. So um, it, it's, it's tough. And this whole, the, the COVID thing, I, I tell you, you know, you're, you're in the middle of a pandemic Um you know, sometimes I sarcastically say it's a good thing we're starting to get sports back. Um, so there's something other than the news or the social media for people to be able to gather information because we're humans. We want to interact. That's what's going to happen. And, and what topics and things are we going to be able to get into? Um, it, it certainly helps to have some other things out there for, for humans to be able to see and, and talk about with that. But uh, yeah, you know, it you talk about the decision makers getting getting browbeat a little bit at times. Sometimes maybe it's okay to be questioned, you know, and to surround yourself with people with some different opinions. That's a great thing to be able to happen so you can do what's best uh, in the long run. But that whole understanding of the human element is nobody's perfect. Uh, it does get tough in this, and it's going to continue for a period of time as well. Do you, this is, again, speculation. What do you see? I mean, and you're not a virologist, you're a virologist, whatever it is, you're not an epidemiologist. Yep. What do you see this ending? I mean, do you ever see it ending? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you don't, you don't know, you know, it's, 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 there, there's a number of things, you know, I've had a number of conversations obviously in the last six months that have been really with some great depth and some other stuff. And probably, that's probably what makes it the hardest is that you don't know where the end's in sight. And then you're trying to make decisions knowing where, what is the end game? You know, um, we've, we've had some decisions that have had to happen and occur. I know relating to our baseball, softball, it's like, do we play today or do we not play today based off the fact that we've got, you know, five kids that were potentially exposed um, uh, on that and the things. And it's like, well, what's the end game? What is the end game? Is it to just play this one game? Well, hell, let's go play it. Or is the end game to say, make sure that we put ourselves in position so we can still play a few more games as we finish out the season, uh, if it's in that. Um, when you don't know what the end game is, which is kind of where we're at in this pandemic, 
um, it's a different deal. You know, if you look at the collegiate level, there's a huge financial piece that's involved in this when you look at just college football and put it under that microscope. So that's, that's a big piece that's going to guide some of their decisions and the risk taking that they're going to take. Um, you know, for us, we're just dealing with high school student athletes, but we're also dealing with the psychology of a large group of kids and their development and their growth as human beings. So um, there's value in terms of what we're trying to be able to do. It's just how do we do it safely? So um, it, yeah, it, there's, there's trying to find the guiding principles for where do we want to be at the end at this point in time is, is really tough, you know, and um, it's, it's, it's going to be that way for a while, unfortunately. Yeah. I, I work in it, as I, I mentioned, I think before we started, but uh, I mean, normally we, when we have a business, we have a business continuity plan, right? Right. And those plans are generally, if your building get hit, get hits by a tornado or it gets burned down, or something happens, you know, or Katrina in New Orleans. I worked in New Orleans uh, around the time of Katrina, and I worked with a school district, actually, Jefferson Parish. Um, You know, most of those cases, they're going to rebuild the building, and they're going to move to a different location, you know, and there is a definite, okay, here's the plan, and then it ends when everybody moves back in and goes back to work. And not only is there, there no plan for any of this because nobody's ever been really through it. Yep. And that's the part that's, fr- I think, frustrating for me when I look at people complaining about all the decisions being made is there's no plan. They're making this up as we go. No, we have no. To. The building as we, the, the building, the plane as we fly it is, I think, is one analogy. The, the other one probably comes from a military side of things. Our superintendent, actually, the AD in the previous district that he worked with is a, uh, um, uh, uh, military academy grad, uh, army military academy grad and at West Point. And, and he often talks about, and my, my brother's a pilot in the Navy. So um, I, I see it as like, when you, when you plan, you, the only the guarantee is, is that the plan that you initially put together will not be the end plan. It's going to have to be able to adjust uh, and, and, and pivot and some other stuff. And that's hard for media and the general world to say, well, did these people not plan? Well, no, they did. The circumstances and the dynamics change. So, you know, what is a great plan? Well, that's kind of an open-ended question because you don't know what's out in front of you. You can try to have an idea um, with that. And, and this really challenges um, a, a lot of that when it comes to it. And then trying to get humans um, to be able to get on board and, and build some transformational decision-making is, um, you know, it's, I don't want to call it short to impossible, but it certainly takes a lot more time than what the immediacy of our society wants. As far as I want an answer, I want it black and white. I want to know what I'm going to do and what I'm not going to do. And then if I don't like it, how do I properly express my dissent um, with that while still being respectful? And, and that's, uh, that, that's, that's hard right now. And, and a pandemic plan is, you know, when we have spectators come to a competition, uh, that's going to be our next thing as far as masks, if we're indoors. And that will be a contentious issue that totally breaks away from what our core issue is. We just want kids to have an opportunity to play volleyball and do so safely. And this is a way that we have to be able to consider that when it comes time to do it. But boy, immediately it'll go just completely to the mask, mask, mask. It's like, well, what, wait a minute, what's the end game? What's, what are we actually back here to actually do? Well, just give an opportunity for kids to be able to play some volleyball um, and, and watch them play. And that, that is kind of, you know what, that's a good ending because it is kind of, it's silly that we've gotten so explosive about a mask. You know, it, you'd think you'd get, people would have gone ballistic if they were like locked in their homes mm-hmm. by law or something, but no, it's just put on a face covering and yeah. It's, yeah. It's, we're all insane people all of a sudden. 
Yeah, I mean, it's the it's an inconvenience. Sure, it is. Absolutely. Um, is it something that people want to make sure that all of a sudden people are going to be required to wear masks? You know, two years after the pandemic is over or, or deemed over, uh, and a vaccine exists as well? No, I don't think that's necessarily the case. Uh, but if it if it makes things safer to make sure those of us who are in an age group that maybe don't have the health risks, but we still have a responsibility to take care of others to make sure that they don't have those health risks, I think it's an important discussion to have. Um, but yet again. It gets contentious sometimes because where's the end game? When are we gonna? When are we gonna not have to continue to wear or need to be able to continue to wear those masks? That's a that's a really scary thought process for some people when it comes down to it. So it is. Ugh. Well, <laughs> I, you know, it's a, it was a good conversation. I appreciate you taking the time. I I think it's important. I we're probably not going to get massive numbers of people to listen to this because they really want to listen to sports stuff. But absolutely, I think it's important that people understand what people are going through. And you know, I've I've interviewed an economist, I've interviewed a lawyer, and now a high school activity director, associate principal, uh, window washer. <laughs> philosopher, counselor. Whatever needs to be done. I'm not a Nebraska football fan, but I have the total respect for Nebraska football. So you're, uh, um, it's okay. I appreciate the opportunity to, to be on a little coordination uh, fun when it comes to that. Um, uh, with that, I, uh, as a, a football coach, uh, uh, an old football coach, I think the world of Tom Osborne and, and what that era of Nebraska football looked like, it was absolutely outstanding. So I know there's a lot of people out there that have a lot to be proud of with that. Okay, this has been John's Post-Life Crisis. Thank you all for listening. Go Big Red. This is where you say your your mascot. Um, where, where do I start? Uh, well, I don't want to necessarily say go Hawks. It's just kind of one branch of the Hawkeyes. I'll say go Panthers. Your school, Decorah Panthers? Oh, oh, no, Vikings. Sorry, I thought it was the uh, <laughs> other. Yeah, go Vikes. <laughs> I, I need to do better at, at pointing that out. Okay, all yeah. right.